Thank you all for coming, and I'd like to welcome you to our second meeting of the Office of Information Technology. For those of you who are new to OIT since our last meeting in September of 2001, I'm Betty Lydon. I've been at Princeton since June of 2001, and I've had a wonderful first year. And in large part, it's thanks to all of you. As you can see from today's agenda, today we are going to take time to celebrate the successes of the last nine and a half months as a new organization. In addition, I'd like to share with you some of what I've learned this past year from visits to academic and administrative departments and discussions with administrators and faculty. I'd also like to talk about some changes in OIT that I hope will facilitate the delivery of IT services to the campus and make it easier for faculty, staff, and students to interact with OIT on all IT-related matters. Finally, we're going to take a look at what these changes mean for us and for our customers and talk a little bit about some of my priorities for OIT in the coming year. Before I get started, though, I'd like to recognize and thank a number of people in OIT. First of all, thanks to everyone in OIT for making our first year so successful. I've received many words of praise from the president and the provost to individual students and faculty about the excellent service that OIT provides, and each of you have played a very important part in that, and I thank you very much for that. Thanks to all of you who are here today, but also to those who can't be here because they are busy keeping our services running so the rest of us can have this meeting. As a service organization, I know that there will be, never be a time when we can all be together. So today we're broadcasting this meeting over the network so that some of you who are not here are hopefully watching it live and others can watch it later online by logging into the Princeton Web Media website. We will also make all of these slides available to all of you after the meeting. Next, I'd like to say thank you to Robin Figlerski, my executive assistant, for working patiently this past year to help me learn the Princeton way of doing things, which I might add is not always obvious. <laughs> also, for keeping track of everything in OIT and keeping me on track and for doing all the preparations for this meeting, too. So, Robin, thank you. Please stand up. I'd also like to give a special thanks to everyone involved in setting up and running all the technology for this meeting. Some of them are behind the window back there. And to John Edwards for helping me with my slide presentation. I would also like to thank John for his help in preparing many OIT reports and documents this past year. So thanks to all of you. I'd like to thank next the OIT directors for your leadership in helping to create the OIT organization with me and for helping me to make sure we focused on the right things this past year. I'm sure you all know who they are, so thank you, Andy, Dan, Dave, Elizabeth, Kirk, Lee, Nancy, Serge, and Stephen. Thanks very much. Another group of people that I know you will all agree deserves thanks is the group made up of all those who provide administrative support to each of the departments in OIT. We don't often get the opportunity to thank these important people, so today I'd like to recognize them by name and ask them to stand up and remain standing so that we can give them a round of applause at the end. In Academic Services, Alberta Noon. In Administrative Services, Fran Johnson, who also does work for Budget and Planning, Bonnie Monahan, Julia Seymour, Mary Peoples, 
Barbara Ludwig, Kathleen Bozowski, and Kasha Hertz. In ETC, Eva Rosen. In Enterprise Services, Sally Van Fleet. In Information Services, Joyce Bell, Ruth Priggy, and Marlene Stern. In Partnership 2000, Lorraine Chambers. And in Support Services, Carol Morea, Diane Mills, and Dale Leone. Let's have a big round of applause for these folks. Next, I'd like to recognize all those who received OIT bonuses this past year. The OIT bonus program is an important part of OIT's commitment to recognize individuals whose outstanding efforts have made a significant contribution to OIT and the university. The bonus program consists of a number of different types of awards, and I'd like to review them briefly now so you can work for them for next year. <laughs> The OIT Service Award allows for a cash award of up to $500 for staff members who have excelled at an assigned task or who have gone above and beyond the call of duty at work. The OIT Project Bonus allows for a cash award of up to $1,500 for OIT staff who successfully complete an important small-scale project or introduce a new and successful OIT service. And the OIT Enterprise Project Bonus allows for a cash award of up to $5,000 to OIT staff over the life of a significant technology-based project. The amount of this bonus is based on the scope of the project, the achievement of milestones, and the relative contribution of the individuals involved in the project. This past year, over 40 people were recognized as part of the OIT Bonus Program. In addition, two of our staff were recognized with HR bonuses, and one individual, Don Albury, received the Presidential Service Award. Would those of you who are here today please stand so we can recognize you and thank you for your outstanding contributions to OIT and the university. Please stand up. Don't be shy. Now, that is unbelievable. Somebody just stood up real quickly and sat down again. But Now, it can't be that they're all out working, but <laughs> I suppose it's possible. Anyway, we thank you very much. And we are going to try in the coming year to um, really emphasize the bonus program and make uh, more significant recognition of people who actually receive these awards because they are very important to us. Finally, I'd like to take a minute to introduce those people who are new to OIT since our last meeting in September of 2001. Although some of you are not permanent full-time members, all of you work at least 50% time for OIT, and we consider you a part of the OIT family. I'd also like to apologize ahead of time if I miss anyone, since in putting this list together, I discovered how difficult it actually is to get an accurate, up-to-date list of the employees in such a large organization. So according to my records, there are 26 of you, and I'd like to ask you to stand up when I read your name and remain standing till I've read all the names so that we can see who you are and come over and introduce ourselves later on when we're having lunch. And I'm also going to apologize ahead of time for mispronouncing names because some of you have very interesting names. <laughs> okay, in academic service, Meredith Ruth Church Davidson. 
Is Meredith here? Yes, hi. Robert Crow, Emily Dooley, Lance Harrington, Matthew Hood, and Michael Musi. Great. In administrative services, Kasha Hertz, Leona Russo Dezugan, if I said that right, Grant Weed, and David Wirth. In budget and finance, Mark Hoyer. In educational technology center, Nenad Filipovic, Elizabeth Moody, and Arseny Tomkovich. In Enterprise Services, Luke Bodenstein. In Information Systems, Eugene Kusid, Ching Lin, Chris Stewart, Salvatore Urso, Devki Wagel. And in Support Services, Jesse Barron, Craig Fenlon, Paul Moorer, Danielle Pease, Jesse Saunders, and Robert Wassell. Welcome to OIT, and we will be talking with you later. Thanks. Okay, now I'd like to talk a little bit about how we got to where we are today. As you know, I arrived in June of 2001 and I met with administrators and worked with the directors of OIT both in individual weekly meetings, individual and weekly meetings, and in retreats to help understand the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats that faced us. Together, we defined the mission and goals, and we welcomed two new groups, ETC and P2K, into the organization. I also met with all the OIT managers individually to hear your concerns and your suggestions for ways to improve the way we do business internally and the way we support our customers. In September, we changed our name to OIT to single a new service, organi service organization focused on better communication with the community and on meeting the needs of our constituents. We launched a new website and a new publication, IT Matters. During the past academic year, we've implemented a number of new and enhanced services and have become known as a new and different IT organization. Also, during this past year, I've been visiting departments to better understand the needs and wants of the Princeton community. Let's look first at the new OIT culture and how it's different from the previous central IT organization. In talking with senior administration and the trustees, it is clear that Princeton does not strive to be on the cutting edge of the technology curve. Princeton is not an MIT or a Carnegie Mellon, and it does not need to put itself in the high-risk situation of always being the first to implement new technologies. Being an early follower in technology makes sense for Princeton in most cases, and we should only employ cutting-edge technology after careful thought. Also, in my visits to departments, I heard repeatedly that in the past, Princeton's central IT organization made technology decisions and implemented new technologies without asking customers what they wanted. This was expressed to me as the IT organization believing that if you build it, they will come. So our new organization will work hard to focus on what our customers actually want. Along with this, 
Our primary metric will be that of customer service and not merely the implementation of technology. Next, I'd like to recognize some of the many accomplishments of the last academic year. Because of our limited time, I'm only going to mention just a few from each of the departments within OIT. However, this year we're going to produce an annual report that will list all of our accomplishments, and each one of you is going to get a copy of that annual report. So as I talk about these groups, maybe we could put the lights up for a moment so, I'm going, so I can recognize them. Is there anybody? Thank you. <laughs> First of all, academic services led by Serge Goldstein. Academic services staff completed a major upgrade of the Blackboard course management system with broad involvement of, on the part of the university community. They sponsored the creation of the Research Computing Advisory Group and began creating a robust infrastructure to support research and academic computing needs. They supported a significant growth in the use of video to support classroom and public events and made significant enhancements to classroom media capabilities. Could I ask the members of Academic Services and Surge to please stand up? Come on. Don't be shy. Thank you. Administrative services led by Andy Rosano. Administrative services staff increased the sales and visibility of our site licensed software and as a result provided significant dollar savings to the university. They created campus card oversight committees and implemented the student advantage program to allow students to use their ID cards to make purchases in town. Printing and mailing and telecommunications services both had successful years financially, and telecommunications also successfully filled four key manager positions. Finally, they launched a new IT human resources classification system. So will the members of administrative services and Andy please stand up. Thank you. Thank you. Budget and finance led by Elizabeth Dolan. In addition to successfully managing the OIT budget, no easy task, during the past fiscal year, the inventory group successfully merged their inventory and billing system in with the help desk database in order to reduce the input needed to open a new service request ticket. The budget group worked with the DMS group to implement a new departmental charging system to replace our legacy system and provide better functionality through more user-friendly data access. The system will go into production this month and will be able to accommodate any new service that may want to charge customers. So you can all start planning charges. <laughs> will the Budget and Finance Group and Elizabeth please stand up? The Educational Technology Center, led by Kirk Alexander. ETC worked with faculty to encourage and support a significant increase in the use of Almagest, a multimedia database tool developed by ETC for use in teaching and learning. They developed five new courseware offerings for alumni and the Princeton community, including two in a simpler, easy-to-produce video and slide format. They supported a significant increase in the use of Graphic Information System Software, or GIS, and provided training for over 70 faculty and students. And they restored the Frist display wall, which I'm sure you all are familiar with, to full functionality and began working with faculty to make better use of this innovative tool. Will the members of ETC and Kirk Alexander please stand up?
Thank you. Enterprise Services, led by Dan Oberst. Enterprise Services staff significantly enhanced email, adding new services to facilitate the creation and management of email lists, improve security, and protect against viruses and spam. They provided significant web services to the communications office and other departments on campus and implemented a campus-wide events calendar. They implemented a number of new tools to improve computer systems management, including a web-based monitoring service for applications, a generalized performance monitoring tool, and more secure job scheduling program. Will the members of Enterprise Services and Dan please stand up? See, and I bet you guys thought I couldn't talk about what you did in ways that somebody could understand, did you? Information systems led by Dave Kohler. The staff of information systems improved our networking environment by moving to new providers for our internet and internet to traffic and began to proactively manage peer-to-peer applications to prevent degradation of network performance. They implemented a highly reliable Unix environment for running mission-critical administrative applications and provided additional computing capabilities at New South. They delivered, documented, and trained staff on a number of administrative applications, including housing, departmental charges, assets and equities, graduate student records, time collection, human resources and payroll, and department manager's desktop system or demand. And finally, they moved our backup service, TSM, to a Unix infrastructure and shut off the mainframe system, replacing it with a processor one-sixth the size to run a few remaining legacy applications. Will the members of Information Systems and Dave please stand up? Now you see why they got so much done, right? (laughs) They're half the group. IT architecture function led by Lee Varian. With the assistance of Collaboration Services Group and the Data Integration Group within OIT, our IT architect implemented a new directory self-service update process and provided the appropriate data fees to the campus community database system. Will Lee please stand up? That just proves more is not better. (laughs) Okay, Partnership 2000, led by Nancy Costa. The P2K staff implemented the new departmental manager's desktop system, Demand, to selected department managers in September of 2001 and expanded usage to all department managers in February of 2002. They implemented the second and final phase of Campus Community in June 2002, integrating Campus Community with alumni records. Campus Community now has 12 major interfaces to administrative applications, maintaining bio-demo data. They facilitated the development of the Administrative Systems Access web pages in May to ensure consistent access to administrative systems. And they successfully implemented all graduate school student record processing in PeopleSoft. In addition, student bio-demo updates, graduate student registration, and web course selection have been developed and will be deployed in the fall of 2002. Will the staff of P2K and Nancy please stand up?
And last but not least, this is terrible because support services is always last in the alphabet, as is Stephen Sather. So if we're, priori- if we're alphabetizing people or groups, he ends up last. So I guess we say the best is for the last, right? Support services extended the campus network to the Lawrence Apartments and other graduate college annex buildings. With the help from other groups in OIT, they completed a project to replace several hundred desk computers and migrate all desk computers to Windows 2000. In addition, they successfully transferred several thousand computers from ADSM to TSM backup services. The help desk responded to a 20% increase in customer contacts. This represents the fifth year in a row of double-digit increases in direct customer contact, with an overall doubling of service. They reintroduced end-user training for general productivity applications and began instruction for Microsoft MCSA certification for SCAD, DCS, and internal OIT technical staff. And finally, they implemented Uniprint, a general cluster-wide print accounting system, resulting in a 10% reduction in overall printing. Will the staff of the support services and Stephen please stand up? As I was saying, there's never a good time to have a meeting, but I think this time is a little bit easier for the support services staff. I remember in the fall they were all manning the help desk and doing things like that, so it's, it's glad, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. In my visits to departments and conversations with administrators and faculty this past year, I received many compliments about the central IT organization. In visiting academic departments, I usually spoke with both the department chair and the department manager, and sometimes with a SCAD person or faculty members that were responsible for overseeing the IT needs of the department. I'd like to mention just a few of the good things about OIT mentioned consistently in almost every meeting. These were, the support from the help desk is very good and has improved considerably in the last few years. People are very satisfied with Princeton's networking services and with general hardware and software support. People really appreciate and rely on OIT's backup support services, TSM. The SCAD program is extremely successful and a critical part of departmental IT support. Blackboard is a useful tool, especially for practical time-saving activities. The desk and faculty computer programs are a good idea and extremely important to departments. I think it's important to note here that people's impressions of central IT support are based on individual interactions with frontline services. They are often unaware of the many behind-the-scenes activities necessary to deliver these frontline services. This is why we know that we are all so dependent on each other for our success. Those of you on the front line know how important it is to receive the help of others within the organization if you are to succeed. And if OIT is to be recognized as being responsive to the needs of our users. So in reality, although we hear about the frontline services, either good or bad, we know that that's really a reflection on the overall organization. So once again, congratulations on a great year. Now let's look at some of the things I learned where there might be some opportunities for improvement. In my visits to departments, I consistently heard that teaching is changing. Princeton must use technology in teaching to stay competitive. Academic departments need more technology and more software. In the last five years, staying competitive has become very expensive. This is true in most disciplines, not just in the sciences anymore. 
I also learned that faculty feel they do not have time to learn to use technology. They need more technical support, and we need to find ways to make the technology easier to use. We also need to upgrade the skills of existing departmental support staff since these jobs have changed. We need support staff who can do such things as scanning, graphics, and PowerPoint for others in their department. I learned there is almost no central support for higher-end research computing and that we should investigate ways to provide support centrally for things that are currently being duplicated across departments for lack of this central support. These are things like Linux and Unix operating systems, high-end computing clusters, security and firewalls, and licensing of scientific software. The SCAD program is excellent. Departments with a knowledgeable SCAD person generally feel they have very good IT support, although often not enough. The SCAD program provides the primary link between departments and the central IT organization. Some departments feel they cannot afford a SCAD person, although they would like one, or perhaps they can only afford a fraction of a person. Most administrative processes are time-consuming and paper-intensive. We need to streamline administrative processes, put them on the web, and make them interactive. I know the people in information systems are probably happy to hear that, right? <laughs> um, the faculty computer program is also excellent. We need to review the program periodically, though, to make sure it is still providing the best options to faculty. We should look at eligibility, the replacement cycle, and technology options. And finally, most departments have not adequately budgeted for technology either because they do not have sufficient funds or because they have neglected to plan for hardware upgrades and replacements, software acquisition, and IT support staff. Departments with fewer funds are at a significant disadvantage in terms of their ability to use technology. So we need to work on better funding strategies for technology acquisition and support. Now I'd like to talk about why we are changing. While I don't believe that any given organizational structure can make an organization successful in and of itself, I do believe that an organizational structure can be a barrier to successful delivery of services by an organization. So I took a look at our organizational structure and felt that there were some barriers built in. Let's look at some of the goals for the reorganization. These are things I heard from you and from people that I visited around campus that the OIT structure was confusing, that there were redundant activities going on in different groups, that the roles and responsibilities of people internally were unclear and made it difficult to deliver service, that there was a general lack of communication both within and outside of OIT, that there were silos that actually created competing priorities inadvertently, and that, for me, there were too many direct reports to the CIO. Although this has been wonderful and a great way to get to know the organization, it has not allowed me to spend as much time as I like this past year on strategic directions for the organization. So what were my goals and what were all of our goals? It was to create a structure that will facilitate the delivery of services to the campus to ensure organizational flexibility, since we know that no organizational structure is ever going to be perfect, to make OIT easier for our customers to work with, to help foster a team spirit within OIT by minimizing the number of silos, and by creating virtual teams to address cross-organizational issues, to clarify priorities, and hopefully to replace some of the frustration with a little bit of fun. 
since there's no such thing as a perfect organization, I thought long and hard about what I should do. So I wanted you to know that no decision that we've made was arbitrary. Every decision was made thoughtfully with the objective of positioning each one of you in OIT to be as effective and fulfilled as possible in your jobs. I base decisions on what we need to do going forward rather than saying to myself, well, this was tried before and it didn't work then. Because today's a new day with new people and we don't know for sure. And so we had to look forward and see what would work best. Also, I wanted to try to give people the opportunity to succeed, therefore give them as much time as possible to do the things they enjoy and excel at and not give people more administrative responsibilities than they wanted wherever possible. So in some cases, management responsibilities have changed based on things I heard from you. I tried not to tamper with what's working, but at the same time, I had to recognize that there's always room for improvement. I'm sure many of you have heard the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it's also true that if it ain't broke, maybe the only good time to improve it. Also, I chose to use virtual teams to min try to minimize disruptive organizational changes. So, for example, if we needed to do work um, in the area of researching new technologies, rather than take individuals from different groups across the organization and disrupt each of those groups, we'll use virtual teams to try to accomplish our goals in that area and in other areas. And finally, I recognize that, that organizations are not static. This is a work in progress. In, perhaps it's a phase one. We will modify things as we need to to accomplish our goals. And if we've made mistakes, we'll fix those too. So now let's look at the new functional alignments within OIT. I, I want to emphasize before I show you this that it's not an organizational chart. It's supposed to show you the functional alignment of services, which was the way that I made decisions. The purpose of any organizational structure is to group related services and people together so that they can be most effective. Therefore, I first looked at the services we provide without any people in mind. Within major service categories, I looked at bringing similar service units together. The last thing I did was look at the existing organizational chart and put people in and units in the most appropriate places. I'm going to say a few brief words about each of these functional areas, but in a little while you'll be hearing from each of the five directors um, about these areas in more detail. Academic services. The goal here was to combine all academic services into one functional group to for focus more comprehensively and clearly on user needs in the academic area. And so that's what we've tried to do. The same can be said for administrative information services. We've combined all administrative services to focus more comprehensively and clearly on user needs in the administrative area. Enterprise infrastructure services. We tried to combine elements of the infrastructure to help ensure that we are using the best possible tools and to maximize expertise across the organization. We are trying to position ourselves to develop standard tool sets and to plan for future technologies. This group will deliver the building block services that are the foundation for all the other services we deliver. Finance, administration, and planning. The goal here was to bring together all internal OIT administrative functions. Also, the focal point 
for infusing process into how we do project management across the organization and how we do both strategic and tactical planning will take place here. Because of this, this group will be cognizant of all the activities of the other areas in OIT, and it's a logical place to also put our internal and external communication activities. Support services. In IT today, the network is the computer. In many ways, it is the most pervasive and critical service we offer. The closer the network is to our support arm, the more responsive we can be to our customers. In addition, by bringing together the functions of planning for the network, delivering the network, and those of telecommunications, we will be in a position to plan effectively for the convergence of voice and data. So take a minute to look at this, because I think we've done what makes perfect sense. In fact, as I explained this to some people in the HR department and to some of the senior administrators, they said, but Betty, it's so logical. <laughs> so let's hope that's true. Finally, um, I know that some of you are probably wondering, okay, this is great. The services are aligned functionally, but what happened to such and such a group or what happened to such and such a person? So I've put together a chart, which I hope, I, I'm not sure you're going to be able to read this. And once again, I'd like to stress, this is not an organization chart because the structure of these groups will be worked out with the people and the directors involved as we move forward. What I am trying to show you in this next slide, though, is what happened to each of the groups in the old organizational structure? So we'll see if you can read this. Okay, basically, the, the ones that are colored darker, and I will, again, I will give you uh, copies of these slides so you'll be able to look at this more closely. That indicates either the creation of a new function completely or that the function has moved to a new reporting line. So all the things in the darker color have either moved or are new. The things in the lighter color, again, we're talking about the existing units within the older organizational structure, have not moved from their reporting line. So if you look at ac academic applications in the first row, that used to report to Serge Goldstein, and that still reports to Serge Goldstein. Um, so if you, if you follow that logic, you should be able to find every one or every group in uh, the old organizational structure somewhere on this page. And if you can't, I apologize again, because I tried very hard to account for all the groups, and if I've missed a group, um, we'll fix that. Um, basically, if you see an individual's name um, that has moved, it's probably because that particular individual is going to take on a new function. So if we look at enterprise services, we see, for example, technology outreach and Howard Strauss. That's a new function, and Howard Strauss has agreed to take that on. Um, or technology R&D, and you see Robert Knight's name. Now, again, the organizational structures um, have not yet been determined in all cases. In some cases, some of you have already been working with your new directors to work on an organizational structure. But in other cases, this is just a listing, so to speak, of all the groups that are part of the new functional areas. So in, um, when we get to the question and answer period, we can come back to this chart and you can ask me specific questions about it if you can see it. Can, is it legible? Yeah, pretty much? Okay. <laughs> okay. There are two things on this chart that I should point out that, that aren't, they don't show here, but 
One is that if there's a TBD to be determined, it either means that the manager of that function moved, as in the case of Howard Strauss, or that it's a new function that doesn't have a person, but unfortunately it also does not have a position, a budgeted position associated with it. So we have not yet determined how we will support that function that we want to create. Um, but in one, one case, we do know that um, we've spoken with Kurt Hillegas, and he has agreed to take over the function of research computing um, under academic services. Now, the problem with that is that Kurt Hillegas has a full-time job in another area, and until we are able to figure out how we're going to replace that function, Kurt will not move. So that does not show. And the other thing that does not show is I have asked Andy Rosenau to work on special projects for me as my assistant, and I didn't put this on the, this chart because I was just showing major functions. Okay, so let's move on for now. What will be different inside of OIT? I've talked about this with many of you individual, but we're going to use functional management teams and other virtual teams to try to not only maintain but improve communication across groups. I think one of the things that I realized in trying to realign services was that there is no way to absolutely get all of the people that are responsible for providing any given service into one organizational structure. So how do we fix that? Well, we create virtual teams. And so, for example, if we're talking about academic services of some sort, we need to have the person responsible for the student clusters involved in that conversation, and that person would become a part of a virtual team that would meet regularly to talk about academic technology needs. And that theory will work throughout the organization, and I'm going to be working with the directors um, very soon to determine what teams we really need. And really, in my opinion, more teams is better, because the more we communicate with each other, the better it will be. So, for example, there will probably be a research, uh, a virtual team that's doing research, and it will have people from different groups throughout the organization that either already are doing some research or have expressed interest in it or have a particular expertise for the kind of thing that we will want to be doing research on. So that's how um, those teams are going to work. And I will be meeting regularly with these groups also, which I hope is going to make actually more of you um, able to communicate directly with me than have been in the past. Um, structured project planning methodologies. We, uh, as directors, we recognized very early on that one of our weaknesses was the fact that although we had a project management methodology, we didn't always follow it, and it sometimes led to problems. And, and certainly it was not used across the organization. And I believe strongly in formal project management techniques because I think they help you predict the problems that are likely to arise, and also they're essential for getting buy-in before you start a project as to what it is you're actually going to do who's going to be required in order for this to happen successfully, and get commitment up front for the resources you need. So we're going to be doing a lot more of that in the year ahead, and I, I hope that's going to make a big difference. In addition, as a part of that, internally, as we work together and provide services to each other, whether it be on specific projects or in delivering a service to customers, we're going to create service level agreements. I've heard from a lot of you that, you know, you're working on a project and suddenly the next piece you need is from another group and that group has a different priority right now and you can't get the project done. And so I think with service level agreements, we can plan realistically 
for what are the response times that we can expect between groups in OIT so that we have a better chance of delivering successful service every time. It may mean, actually, that we have to do a little less than we were doing in the past, because I, my guess is that a lot of times what we do is we overestimate the amount of things we can do because we want to be helpful and say yes to our customers, and then in reality we can't deliver. So we're going to try to work on that this year going forward. Okay, what, will be, what is different in working with our customers? Well, some things have already taken place. We have a number of new governance committees in place. There's an administrative systems planning group made up of the vice presidents that have responsibility for the various administrative areas on campus, and they are looking at administrative computing needs for the year ahead, and they're helping us prioritize what we're going to work on, and it's been a very effective group for getting everyone kind of on the same page in terms of what is it we're trying to accomplish, how many resources do we have to get there, and can we really do it all? Um, in addition, that group reports to the Administrative Systems Policy Group, which has been created, which is a group that consists of the provost, the new senior vice president, Charles Kalmbach, and me. And the three of us will get the recommendations from the Administrative Systems Planning Group and determine whether or not um, these really are priorities that are in line with the institution as a whole. And I will, of course, be advocating for the resource requirements. The Committee on Academic Technology has been formed this past year to look at similar things but related to academic technology. It's a group of administrators who deal with academic technology, and I think it's been a wonderful opportunity for people in very different offices across campus to realize what's involved in providing technology um, in the academic arena, and also for hearing what's important to them in terms of what we should be helping faculty members do in the classroom. That group, again, has a group that it can report to called the Academic Policy Group, which is a group that's been in existence for a long time, and they, again, are the senior officers that will help us set the priorities. I see all of these groups working sort of in a two-way fashion, where in one, on one hand it will be recommendations coming up from us through these committees to the senior officers, and at the same time there will be priorities coming down from the senior officers through the committees to us. And that will always be a balancing act. But I think it, having these in place is going to help us communicate and um, probably be more effective. And finally, the Research Computing Advisory Group was started this year, and it's a group of faculty members and some of the systems administrators in the more technical um, departments that are talking about the research computing needs. And you heard me speak earlier about some of the things they've been asking for, and it, again, has been a wonderful group to help us understand what the needs of these people are. The next bullet there, develop a communication plan. I think this is an area that we all know we need to do a better job at. We need to, first of all, define our services and then promote those services and capabilities to our users. When I went around to departments, very often people really didn't know what OIT did. And they'd be saying, gee, I wish I could do X. And I'd say, well, did you know we actually have a service that helps you do that? Um, so I think we really need to work very hard this year to put together a, a consistent communication plan that really everyone knows about, everyone understands what, the, what OIT is and what services it provides. On the other hand, we also need to get input from our campus constituents, and so we need to think of better ways to do that. These committees will help, but we probably are going to want to do some other things too, and we'll be working that out through the year. And finally, one of the things I've decided to do since visiting departments 
um, is to create some sort of an OIT ambassador or liaison program. When I would go to a department, very often I'd be sitting there and some little thing would come up about using Word or using a printer or whatever, and I realized that just by the fact that I was there, someone was mentioning something they never would have mentioned before to anyone because they just wouldn't have taken the time. And I know that many of you are aware of this because then I would come back to my office and I would call one of you and I would say, could you please help so-and-so fix this problem? And it made me realize that if we were just having regular communications with departments on campus, we would probably find lots of ways to help them do their jobs easier. Um, they, they really appreciated just these little things. These are often very small problems, but for some reason, they don't take the time to pick up the phone to call to try to get help. Um, maybe they don't want to bother us. I'm not sure. But anyway, so what we're going to try to do is have each of you in the organization, be responsible for a department or maybe a group of departments and make regularly scheduled visits to these departments. Also, perhaps send email to the department manager and the department chair about things or just saying how are things going, any questions. And hopefully we'll be able to help departments a lot more just by sort of being there and forcing them to think about the things they'd like help with. Okay, now I'd like to ask each of the directors of these new functional areas to come up and just say a few words about your area. Um, you're not going to hear a lot today because, of course, we just became this new organization as officially as of yesterday, I guess. Um, but I thought I'd give each of them an opportunity just to say a few words. So, Serge, will you come up? Thank you. Thank you, uh, Betty. I didn't really prepare anything um, lengthy, so I'll be very brief. Please. please. Maybe I'll just. That's, um, I think before I try to define what academic services does, I, I should sort of say what it, what it does not do and what I do not conceive it as doing. We are not the exclusive focus of academic support um, at Princeton. Every department within OIT supports the academic mission of the university because, after all, that's what this university is about. And I do not conceive of academic services as being the place where all the academic support is going to live. Um, furthermore, academic services is dependent on all the other departments that exist for its delivery of services. We depend on support services for help desk support, for software licensing support, and many other things. We depend on platform services to manage and run our servers. We depend on everybody in this room, basically, to do the kinds of things that we're doing. So we are all broadly part of the academic support mission. So, so what is academic services if it's not the place where all academic support lives? I think it can be a couple of things. One of them it can be is sort of a front door for faculty, so that if, if faculty want some kind of support from OIT, they know there's this group called academic services, and if we don't do it, we can certainly direct them to the group that does provide the support. That's one of the things. And I think also we could provide focused support, particularly in the educational technology and classroom media areas, where we're supporting technologies that are directly involved in support and delivery of instruction. And then maybe this year, 
possibly also expanding to, towards research, which is a, a potentially exciting area that, that I'm hoping that we're going to be able to, to do more new things in. So, so those are the two things I wanted to say, the, maybe the three things. No, we are not all of academic support, of course not. Uh, number two, we really depend on all the rest of you to be able to accomplish what we can accomplish. And number three, I hope that we will come to be seen as a focus, a, a, a locus where faculty and others who, who need educational kinds of support and research support can come and get directed to the right group. So I'm really looking forward to, to a, a great year with, the, uh, with ETC merging with, with academic services. I think we're going to have huge new resources and capabilities and, and smarts and all kinds of things to, uh, to help faculty at this university. So I'm excited, and I, I really look forward to it. Thanks, Betty. Dave? I'll just let the rest of you come up in order. <laughs> well, one of the important things about working with customers is to set appropriate expectations. Uh, I did prepare something, uh, so I won't be brief. <laughs> <laughs> So just prepare yourself, and if I'm a little bit more brief, then you're okay with that, right? Um, I was counting over the weekend how many houses I've lived in, and I've lived in five houses in my adult life um, where I have, I would say I've owned them, but actually in reality the uh, bank has owned them and I've paid uh, every month for them. Um, some of these houses have been old. Some of them have been, have been new. Uh, my most recent house is uh, brand new, meaning... Um, it was built and available, but I moved in. I was the first occupant of that house. Um, and so uh, we've been there for six years, so it's not as new anymore, but it, it was brand new. So what did we find when we had a brand new house? Um, one of the things I found was I was no longer this weekend warrior where I'd have to go out and fix everything every weekend. I found that everything inside this house was brand new. The infrastructure was all up to code, for those people who know what that means. Three-pronged circuits, grounded plugs, GFIs, uh, fire alarms everywhere, insulation. It was all new, all working, and I didn't have to worry about it. So I was all up to code. All the appliances were new. Everything was working just, just nicely. So I had something that was all a new infrastructure when I moved there. But what else that I found was things that weren't so uh, functional for me were every wall was white, or at least I called it white. Uh, my wife calls it eggshell. Um, so everything, ceiling, walls, everything was exactly the same color. Um, there, was no, uh, the, there was no landscaping done. There was no grass. There was no trees. There were no shrubs. There was no deck. Uh, you know, it was, just, it was functional but not necessarily the way I would like to live. There were also no, which was an interesting thing you have to be careful about, there were no blinds or drapes or anything on the windows. <laughs> so there are things that needed to be worked on. Um, so what we did for our six years there, we put a prioritized list together to make our house into our home. Uh, and so we had a limited number of resources available. We would kind of come up with the idea of what we're going to do today, tomorrow, next week, next year. And finally, we've got to the point of, you know, so I, one of the lessons I've learned is if I ever buy a new house, it'll be five years old. I mean, you know, <laughs> let somebody else sweat those details. Um, so lest you... Um, think uh, I'm John Nash uh, and I'm in a Home Depot session here, uh, there is a method to this madness. Uh, and, and the reason is I believe that our administrative system's infrastructure is like this new house right now. Everything we have now uh, is new. Uh, we have replaced some 35 systems over the last six years. 
I need to take time to congratulate all of you for that because we are the only institution that I know of that's done this, that hasn't um, uh, got cold feet and stopped, that hasn't done only parts of them. We've replaced pretty much everything. We have a new infrastructure that's up to code. We have Sun boxes. We have Solaris operating environments. We have Oracle databases where all our data is today. We have middleware that's up to code, meaning all the versions are current and we're running a common architecture for our systems. Our application, 66%, two-thirds were purchased. They're up to the right revs, right versions of the applications. Um, they take care in feeding. We have to keep them up to code. We have to keep them going. We have to keep them to the re where we keep them up for support levels, but also new functionality comes from vendors. So part of our life in administrative systems will be keep, keeping current. We don't want to go back to 35-year-old uh, infrastructure if we can help it. Um, so our goals for the future, and I've talked to um, uh, the staff last week when I talked about what I believe the future was, so I won't drill down a lot here, but certainly want, we want to be efficient where we have to be, meaning fixes, upgrades, uh, things that we're doing, reporting, all those kind of things we want to do as best we can with that, but also effective where we should be. Uh, you know, places where we can now start taking advantage. I don't think we've taken full advantage of this new infrastructure or the notion that all the data is in one common environment for reporting purposes or the fact that we now have functionality we haven't really deployed yet. And so as we go, I think we're going to start taking more advantage. We're going to make our house into our home. We're, we're going to make it more Princeton-specific and, and usable for the Princeton community. So one of the things we're going to do is evolve our customers in every one of those levels. At the operational level, we have a set of customers we deal with, and they sort of point directions for us, uh, and we move forward in certain areas as best we can. As Betty mentioned, we have strategic customers now. The SPG group is vice presidents who are looking at um, what's the right things to do and what's the right things to do with limited resources. So involving them, having them learn about our business, learning about their own systems, if you will, and how we can do business for them has been very important and, and enlightening. We have a new set of vice presidents, as a matter of fact. So I think the more we can work with them, the better. And then we have another senior-level strategic customer, Charles Comback, who's here. I haven't met yet, but his, one of his tasks or jobs is to look at streamlining administration on campus. And so as we work with him, we'll find more about what we can do and how do we align our resources. So um, certainly um, in support of the conference theme, which is the next generation, uh, I would urge those in administrative information services to boldly go where no one has gone before. Thanks. I just repaired a few remarks here. So. Uh, actually, I think it was John Adams said if he had more time, he would have written a shorter letter. Um, if I had more time, I'd have shorter remarks, I guess. Uh, welcome, uh, Enterprise Information, Enterprise Infrastructure Services. Um, it's got the I anyway. An organization is only as good as the people who work for it, and I've really been pleased to be part of an evolving CIT and now OIT for over 15 years and really enjoyed the working relationships I've developed over the years with many people here. Now, a reorganization provides an opportunity for people to rethink and refocus their efforts as part of a new uh, uh, revitalized organization, uh, but it's not a silver bullet. 
Uh, it's not going to solve all our past problems or instantly make things better. Uh, and probably in a perfect world and a perfect organization, uh, a reorganization wouldn't matter at all because people would work together and be effective no matter where they work. And I think what Betty's talked about in terms of virtual teams uh, and, and people working together across the organization is what we really want to do. Um, but I'm really happy and really pleased that we have uh, the creation of Enterprise Infrastructure Services because I think it's going to give us an opportunity to bring together groups that have worked together in the past to work even more closely now, uh, looking for ways to leverage each other's efforts, uh, meet the challenges that lie ahead. We have web, uh, enterprise systems management, collaboration, backup services, database administration, now forming a team with those who provide the cycles and the services that they depend on and that all of you depend on. And we also have combined with that leadership in architecture, security, technology, and outreach. Individually, each of the staff and their groups have accomplished great things. And I'm looking forward to even greater accomplishments as we move ahead with the new OIT, the next generation. Thank you. Wow. Um with all of you facing me and me at this microphone, it reminds me of the guy in the commercial, attention, the New York State Lottery is now. <laughs> now, I'm not going to finish that sentence since I don't want everyone getting up and running out of the room to buy a lottery ticket. Instead, we're going to talk about finance, administration, and planning. Let's just recap for a moment what are the services within this area. OIT, Budget and Financial Services, OIT, Communications and Public Relations, OIT, HR Services and Building Management, Printing Services, Project Planning, and Strategic Planning. You are probably familiar with most of these, but I'm going to focus on some of the new areas that may not be so obvious. First, OIT, Communications and Public Relations is new. One of the many lessons I learned in Partnership 2000 is that you can't communicate too much. In this new area, we hope to focus on improving communication, both internally and externally. That is, developing a communication plan using a variety of sources and methods of communication. There may be no single thing that contributes more to our success than to practice meaningful and continual communication. Strategic planning is new. <clears throat> By strategic planning, we mean developing OIT strategic plans as well as a consultative support service to our customers in developing their IT strategic plans. For example, we have already been asked to work with facilities in developing their IT strategic plan. Strategic planning can be the most important and difficult challenge facing an IT organization. We need to develop plans that bridge the demands of the, of the present and the requirements of the future. Project planning is sort of new, in that we hope to extend the project office to support project management beyond Partnership 2000 and the administrative systems implementation. Just a plug for a minute, we are planning an on-site project management workshop the week of July 22nd, and I would hope that many of you who are planning to manage projects in the current year will take advantage of this training opportunity. 
No one will dispute the fact that an organization's most valuable asset is its people. I believe there are seven basic rights of people, whether you are in an organization or in a working group or on a project team. The rights are the right to be needed, the right to be involved, the right to understand, the right to affect one's own destiny, the right to be accountable, the right to appeal, and the right to make a commitment. If you want to learn more about these rights, you, I suggest reading a book called Leadership is an Art by Max Dupree. It's one of my favorite management books. The point is, I believe that these basic rights, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I needed that water, Stephen, but I left it at my seat. It's okay. <laughs> um, I believe, thank you. The point is, I believe that these basic rights and making OIT an organization that will enable you to do your best. In turn, OIT can only be as successful as we want ourselves to be. I look forward to working closely with the folks in finance, administration, and planning. I also look forward to meeting many new people and others throughout OIT. And finally, I look forward to continuing to work very closely with those that worked with me throughout Partnership 2000. Thank you, Betty, for this opportunity. Over the last couple of weeks, Betty has been working on her presentation on what we're going to talk about today. And at one point, as we were going over some, some particular slide, I said, you know, I know you didn't make this look like a priority list, but some important things are at the top and some other things are in the middle and things like that. I said, why don't you just alphabetize? And she said, okay, that seems reasonable because that way it doesn't imply any particular order other than A becomes before C and things like that. Little did I know that that would mean for the rest of this whole presentation today that I would be the person who would come last. So, <laughs> um, But I'm not worried about coming last, even if it was a priority list, because I keep hearing everybody talk about OIT being a support organization, and what we do is we provide services to the university. So with an organization, part of the organization called Support Services, I think we are where it's at. Nothing against any of these other <laughs> four groups, but we have both words right there in our title. So, you know, and, and I really think that beyond just having the coolest name, I, I really believe that we are the people who, in a lot of ways, are that very, I mean, speaking very, speaking very personally here, we are that very important face to our customers. And sometimes that face is a virtual face of the help desk. Sometimes that's a very real face of desktop support. Sometimes that is a really strong, already liaison relationship between us and the SCAD departments and, and things like that. But I really feel as though oh, we are that layer where OIT meets the rest of the university. 
and I feel that, 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 that the new parts of, of, of support services that are moving in and add and round out that layer for us. And I'm really, really looking forward to, to working with the new groups in, 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 in providing all of those services. I'm really looking forward to the folks that, that have been part of support services for the last 18 months to continue to grow as, as, as a, a group where we can really put all of those things together and make that interface between OIT and all of the people who provide that important back of, back of the house and, and infrastructure part art, and looking for out, reaching out to our customers and, do, and doing that. Um, we can't do it by ourselves, and, and we know that, but we really, really, I'm really looking forward to working with everybody who is now part of support services, and I think that in a tug-of-war, we're about to win just by sheer, sheer mass. So I really think it's a really <laughs> good sign that, um, that, that, that we are going to have something that's really we can all be proud of moving forward as part of a new support services. Thank you. Okay, let's talk for a minute about next steps. These are three things that I expect from you. <laughs> give yourself, give others, and give the organization time to succeed. Nothing will happen magically when we make changes like this. We're going to all have to work together to make them happen, and we owe it to ourselves and to each other to give it the time that it takes to work. As you know, I've been here almost a year, and we're just now getting to the point where we're realigning services. So it took me that time to really think through what I thought would work the best, and I hope that we'll all give it the time that it needs to actually succeed. Three things that you can expect from me, I will listen to all of you, to your concerns, to your suggestions, to your ideas. I will act based on what I hear from all of you, and I will evaluate how things are working. And if it's necessary, we will make changes. So I guess that should be the, the comforting word to all of you, that we're only trying to do what's right here, and we're going to make sure that it works. Here are two things I'd like you to think about and remember. Much of the conflict in our lives can be explained by one simple but unhappy fact. We don't really listen to each other. The first quote talks about the importance of listening. Good listening is hard work. What prevents us from doing a good job of listening is that instead of focusing on other people, we too often focus on ourselves and our own needs. Why is it so important to listen to each other? Well, I think the second quote explains that. It takes a variety of people to challenge us, encourage us, promote us, and most of all, help us succeed. If we don't listen and understand each other's points of view, and if we don't include others' thinking, as we're planning our services and as we're doing our jobs, then we won't succeed. So let's all make a pledge to include others in our thinking about our jobs and listen to each other's points of view. If we do that, I am sure that we will be successful in anything we choose to do. And finally, probably my favorite quote, happiness does not depend on outward things, but on the way we see them. I hope you will all take that to heart. And now, if we can raise the lights, I'd be very happy to answer any questions anyone has or go back and look at those 
funny-looking charts <laughs> or whatever. So there's one way in back, Rita. Don't talk yet, Rita. <laughs> okay, boss. Um, Betty, when you spoke first about the virtual teams, you contrasted that with the disruptive business of taking one person here, one person there, and one person somewhere else and interfering with the flow of the work where those people normally sit. Could you explain a little more, because I'm still a little confused about the difference between virtual teams and the plucking of people from individual locations? Okay, that's a very good question. You know, um, I, when I met with managers, many of them said, please, whatever you do, do not make, break up my unit. We work together well, we're happy, we get along, and we believe we're most effective as a group. And so in thinking about some of the needs that we had, in some of these groups, there are actually activities going on, like there might be a piece, two or three people in an area that are always looking forward at new technologies, even though they're part of a group that's actually delivering service. And so my thought was, rather than take those one or two people and move them to a research group and have them focus all of their time on research, why not define the research goals and then ask those people who are probably doing some research anyway to focus that research in the areas that we're trying to make headway in and to work with other people who are perhaps focusing in those same directions but in different parts of the organization. I think a lot of what has happened in OIT in the past is that we've had the same things going on in different groups without even really knowing about it. And I think this will be an attempt um, to make that work a little better and, and get more coherent goals. Now, it may actually also mean, and this may be part of what you were implying in your question, that some of the priorities of some of the people in some of the groups will change slightly because part of what we're going to do going forward is decide what's most important to us. And as we do that, there may be things we'll do less of so that we can do more of the things that we've made priorities. So it's a little bit of both. Does that answer? Yeah. Other questions? I know there are questions. Yes. Don't talk. Oh. Should I sing? <laughs> you, you emphasize that we're going to be better outreach to the campus, more information going to the campus. Um, you know, to, to the faculty and staff and find out what, what we're doing. Um, and one of the problems that I, I think that we've seen in CIT and OIT uh, before this is communications with between the directorates and, you know, what's this person doing and why are they doing it and um, what facilities are going to be put in place to to just increase that communication? Are they going to, you know, you know, I don't know. You know, they, they don't know what I do. You know, they said, you know, we know that someone over there does what he does, but we're not sure how to get hold of him or whatever. Um, how is that going to, to change? Uh, another very good question. Hopefully some of that will be facilitated by the new alignment of services. So to some extent there are groups that will be working more closely together by virtue of the fact that they'll now be in the same direct reporting line. In addition, I'm hoping that 
the virtual teams will help that because as we plan for things, we will try to get all of the right people into the room to talk about those services. We're going to continue regular managers' meetings and directors' meetings and things like that. And we're also going to, once we get our... Uh, our projects and priorities all in line, they will be published, as some of them are now, um, on Blackboard, and we hopefully will get all of you to be more comfortable using that to find out what's going on and who's working on what project. So it's going to be a combination of we're going to try hard to do a number of things to encourage that communication, and I'm going to ask you all to take the responsibility to try to make sure that you are aware of what's going on. And I know we're all very busy, so this is going to be something we're going to really have to continue to work at. But hopefully we're going to have enough mechanisms in place to facilitate that. Yes, it's over there, Stephen. Um, well, I probably told you everything I've thought about about it so far. But in reality, um, I'm, I'm hoping to work with the directors and some of you, for example, people in the help desk would be per perfect people to get advice from, to figure out what would work the best. I don't really know, but I, I do feel that if there were more presence of OIT people in departments, we probably would, it would be easier to learn what the needs are and what's going on. So um, another, another thing that I'd like to include in that thinking is the SCAD program, because as I've said, the SCAD program is extremely successful, but we want to make sure, because it is such an important link between our organization and the departments, that we're using those people in the most effective way possible. So um, I guess, it, you know, the commitment is there to do something, and we're going to figure out together what that will be exactly. Yeah. What else? Lee? Wait, here comes Stephen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, dating back as far as the first time you came here to interview, you talked about uh, a technical advisory committee that uh, had worked very well at Duke, and I didn't see any reference at all on that to your future uh, planning. Is, is that something you, you think won't work in the Princeton environment or something that, that might occur down the road? You know, that's a very good question, and when I was preparing my remarks, I wondered whether I should mention it because I had mentioned it when I first came here. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure if it would work in the Princeton environment. It was um, a committee, for those of you who may not remember, that uh, I had used effectively at my previous job at Duke University that was made up of faculty members, staff members, and students. And eventually it got so that I would take any issue related to technology whatsoever to this group to get their advice because these were people who represented the various schools, the various administrative offices, and the student government. And it was a very effective group. Um, the, the thing I'm not sure of at Princeton is Princeton it does not have a lot of structure in and of itself in terms of administrative. <laughs> Did that sound bad? <laughs> in terms of administrative processes, it's, it, it runs itself more like a family where individual relationships are important. And if you really have a problem, well, you call the provost or you call the president. Um, 
So I'm not 100% sure. Sometimes if you try to insert a structure that's completely foreign to the culture, it just doesn't work. I haven't given up on the idea, though, because we've started some of these smaller committees to look at specific areas like administrative or academic um, technology. And if those are successful, I may try again to think more uh, you know, to think more about forming that committee. Um, one of the things that worries me is there's, there's no real governance structure even for faculty at Princeton. There is a faculty meeting that's held, and very few faculty members go to it. So I don't think people are used to, you know, discussing issues and uh, making real decisions in committees. So we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you asked the question because I don't want to just forget about that, but thank you. Rita has another question, Stephen. Is the Council of the Princeton University Community, and you might think about trying to get a subcommittee named of that group to do what you are um, thinking of. That's a very good idea because that group actually does have representatives, does it not, from students, faculty, staff, etc., and alumni. Good, very good. CPUC, yeah, okay. That's a good, very good suggestion. Other questions? There have to be more questions. Nobody wants to see that chart again about help, where am I? We're, we're going back there anyway, just in case. <laughs> hey, are you going to pass out copies of a hard copy or something? Yes, like this? I am. Because even the one before this that just showed the lines was hard for me to read. I'd have to really go up and peer at the screen, and maybe others are myopic in this room as well. I don't know. Right. We definitely will put them up on the web somewhere so that you can all get to them. And we'll hand out, you know, you can have paper copies also, whatever you like. So, Yes. Actually, that's a very good question, and I was really expecting that question. I thought for a minute, boy, nobody's going to ask that. Um, I would like to. Um, so we're, you know, I'm going to sit down with the directors, and we're going to think about what might work. My goal is, of course, I mean, it's very hard to work uh, – closely with someone, even if you're reporting to the same person, if you're physically separated from each other. Now, it's not going to be possible for us to work this out for everyone, but I really would like to try to do that. Um, one really big roadblock that was uh, made known to me just recently is they are fixing the elevator in 87 Prospect this summer, so it will be out of business for most of the summer. So, unfortunately, there probably is not going to be a way to move everybody around before the fall, which might have been ideal. Now, actually, when I said that to the directors, they said, oh, there's no way anyway we would move everyone by the fall. But I'm always ambitious. So, um, yes, I'm going to look at that, because I think that there are some things we could do to realign people that would make it easier for us to all work together. But I don't, I don't have a time frame. I'm, we'll have to work to see, you know, when is it going to be the least disruptive. It, you know, the summer probably would have been the best, but I don't think that's going to work. So we'll see. But thank you. That was a good question, too. Lee. Do you have any comments on a future OIP building or building? Ah, another good question. Actually, and I don't know, well, this is going to be on the website, so I better be careful what I say. So I'm not 100% sure if this is public knowledge, but we are working on a possibility for a building. And um, 
if we, you know, if it works out, it really wouldn't be a completely new building. It would be an addition to a building we already have. So that might give you a clue as to what it is. Um, and the trade-offs are if we tried to wait for our very own building, which is on the let's think about it list in terms of the senior officers, um, it probably would be many years because, as you know, there's a lot of construction going on on campus. The dorms take priority, and then, of course, the academic buildings take priority because they're hiring a lot of new faculty and they don't have places to put them. So it probably would be a very long wait. So my my guess is that a better alternative would be if we could do something in the next few years by adding on to a building we already own, that we should try to do that. Um, so that is what I'm working on. And actually, I'll be having more meetings this summer, so I will tell you all more about that as soon as I learn more. What else? Yes. Just an accounting question. Are the department numbers changing? Yes, they are. <laughs> The question was, are the accounting numbers changing? And they are, and I'm going to leave that to my financial people to figure out. But, Elizabeth? It will happen very shortly. There's not a lot of moves, and it won't be too major. Okay. It's not going to be too major. There was a question in the back before. I don't know whether you still have it or no. What else? Did everybody find themselves on this chart? <laughs> you probably can't see it, right? Yes, Ted, oh, Dave. Oh, I mean, are they there? <laughs> yeah, second from the bottom in the first column, academic services. Now, again, you know, this, this is part of the principle of um, don't tamper with something that's working. You know, there, there's no way to media services, we all know, services both academic and administrative users. They, they really serve everyone. And in some ways, all of our groups do. So in some cases, um, when I spoke with managers and they felt that where they were reporting was effective and worked, and it seemed to be working to me, I left things alone. Yes. Um, I'd like to have a communication ready for the fall. I think when people come back to the university, we'd like to have documents in place that talk about the new restructured organization. That will give us time to work through some of the details and then get some nice um, documents together that will make it easier for people to understand. Um, I th you know, and I think, as, you know, as I've talked to other people outside of OIT, this is so logical that it's going to be easier for people to figure out who to call about things than it was in the past. But we will do that by the fall. Search. Penny, you talk about your conversations with faculty um, in terms of what they need us to be doing. You've also had conversations with senior administration, folks and presidents on. Can you say something about their level of commitment to IT and maybe what, what you've learned from them about what they see the role of your organization as being? Um, yes, thank you. Um, I, the senior officers are extremely supportive of IT. As you know, uh, even, even the previous uh, senior administration that actually hired me made it very clear that, you know, this position would be an important one, would be at the table when decisions were being made by the university, and would help lead the university um, 
in ways that relate to technology. Uh, an example of this with the new administration that really feels the same way is that there's going to be a retreat for the trustees in, the, in November um, when they're here. And one of the areas that they're going to cover is pedagogy and where does Princeton want to be 10 years from now in terms of its pedagogy and where does Princeton want to be a leader. And uh, the provost has always said, al already said to me that this will be a very, IT will be a very important part of that conversation. So as I learn more about what they want to do there, I'll be talking with some of you about how we will participate. Um, but in general, uh, the university recognizes the importance of IT. And as you heard, when I went to academic departments, you know, if the faculty are saying this to me, they're also saying this to the senior officers. And the senior officers realize that um, without the technology, both in the academic and in the administrative areas, uh, Princeton really is not going to be able to succeed. As you know, the, as Dave Kohler mentioned, the new senior vice president on the administrative side um, is very interested in streamlining office efficiencies, looking at offices that are run well and figuring out how to automate the services there. And I think that, therefore, both on the administrative side and the academic side, the university is putting a lot of emphasis and weight on um, information technology. So I think, I think we're in very good shape there. And the other, the other thing that I think is good, I know this is sometimes frustrating for some people, but they are really looking to us to set the direction. Sometimes I know that people say, you know, I just wish they'd tell me what we should do. Um, but I think it's a better opportunity to be able to help them decide what the priorities should be. Um, and, and in some sense, we have to do that because we're the ones who understand what the technology can do for the university. So I think it's a really exciting time at Princeton with the new administration, and I'm looking forward to working with them. Other questions? Yes. Let me think. I can't really think of anything specifically. My guess would be that it wouldn't be the function per se, but perhaps uh, the degree to which we do it. I mean, if, um, f for example, if uh, if we're doing backup services for people and we just don't have the resources to continue to do it forever for as much as people would like to have backup, then we may have to set limits on the amount of backup we can do for people, or we may have to institute charges so that we can afford to support the services. So I think it's partly a matter of finding out what it is our constituents want from us and then trying to determine how best to create a model to provide that that fits within our resources. So it doesn't really answer your question, but I think we're still going to be working on that as we go forward. Yeah. Um, again, I really can't think of anything specific at the moment. Um, and in reality, I mean, you could imagine, for example, there was a there was a web task force that was meeting across the university, and although their report has not been issued, one of the things they thought about was providing support to departments to create web pages. Now, if we were to offer a service like that on a large scale, we would not have the people to do it. And if we wanted to um, host those 
web, uh, websites for the departments, we'd ha probably have to come up with a model for how we would charge for those services. So um, we would always work with our financial people to figure out how we might do that um, in a way that gives people what they want at a, at a, you know, at a cost that would be lower than either going outside to get the service or, um, you know, at a cost that's extremely reasonable. So, yes. that you had mentioned in talking with faculty, they said they wanted people to do stuff for them. Uh -huh. um, and we're sort of in the business of teaching. We, we deal with a lot of faculty who want to learn how. Yep. So I'm just wondering, are things sort of um, panning out that academic services is the we'll do it for you and support services is the we'll show you how or how? Um, Actually, that's a, that is a very good question because I think we're always going to have to do, of course, some of both. I mean, we would really like the faculty to do everything themselves, but we're never going to get them to learn how to do some of these things. And in reality, we have to be honest with ourselves and say it's not their highest priority, right? They're, they're teaching these disciplines. They don't really want to have to spend a lot of time learning the technology. So if we can, as I said earlier, make it easier to use, then maybe we can convince them and show them how to, how to do it. And I don't think, again, that training will necessarily happen in one area. What we're trying to do is focus our training in one area so that we can develop a needs analysis and comprehensive plan for how to deliver it. But really, probably there are other people in this room today, too, who provide training to people. And they would continue to do that as part of a virtual team, let's say, or as part of being the expert in that particular thing that we want to train on. Um, but we always are going to have that kind of helping people to help themselves versus teaching them how to do it. And there are always going to be people who are going to get their support staff to do it for them. Probably so. That was a good, good point. I mean, that kind of helps you all see how complicated it is to try to align services. Right? You really can't do it completely ever, and so we're trying to do it in general, broad categories, and then focus our planning for those services in those areas. And then we'll be using the virtual teams to make sure that all the right people are involved in that planning and then involved in the delivery of the service. So what seems simple, I guess, is complex. <laughs> Serge. Yeah, just to follow up to Anna's question, um, OIT provides some services to browse for free and other services it charges back for it. There are historical and other reasons for that. It sounds to me from what the answer to your earlier question that that's a model that's sort of going to have to live with in the future, that we're not going to have, we're not going to go to an all Yes. Um, I think I was about to say you're not supposed to ask hard questions, you know, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, yeah. No, in, in reality, yes, we are going to have a mixed model. And I know, I mean, 
that is one of the things that I've heard from some of you is frustrating at times because when is it that you're supposed to go and just do this for someone free of charge and when is it you're supposed to charge them? And in some of the support areas, it's cloudy. You know, it's, it's a gray area. And so it's something we're just always going to have to work at. I mean, I think when it's very obvious that departments are already spending their own money to get something done for them outside the university, then they would pay us for that service, and that's a candidate for something we might offer and have a charge associated with it. And again, if we're providing a service that is extremely popular and we're running out of resources to provide it, like the backup service, well, people are willing to pay something for it because it's so important to them. So I think we're going to always have to measure our um, ability to charge versus our desire to charge and, and try to do the best we can with the resources we have and augment those resources when we can by charging people. Um, obviously, in the area of academic services, we have tried very hard not to charge academic departments for academic use of, of technology because that, you know, is, is the mission of the university, and those departments, many of them, don't have a lot of money, and so we've tried not to do that where possible, and we will continue that practice. Other questions? I'm sure there must be more. No? If not, do you think the lunch is here? I'm not sure what time it is. Okay. Well, and you have to ask some more questions. <laughs> we actually, just so you know, um, we have box lunches today because I remember the last time we tried to have uh, food after the meeting, it was so hard to get to the table that this way you can just pick up your box lunch and it will have a small bottle of water in it so you'll at least have something to drink, although there will also be a table of beverages for you to get other beverages when the line is not too long. So we've tried to. And then, you know, you can just sit here and eat um, and introduce yourself to someone that you don't know. That's the assignment for lunch. I have a question for you, actually. Um, how, how, how often do you think we should try to have meetings as an entire organization? More than once a year? No. No? Twice a year? Twice a year. I, sounds like twice a year is sort of a consensus. Okay. I mean, it's, as, as you know, it's hard for you. It's, you know, it's hard to plan, and it's hard to, uh, for all of you to get away. Um, but I do find it very useful to be able to have you hear from me directly what I'm thinking, and I wish I could do it more often. Um, that's another thing I'd like to look for, new ways for me to get around to see more of you more often in the, in the new structure. So hopefully with, uh, um, I'll, I'll have a little more time to do that. So. Yes? Actually, I was going to ask, I know that uh, departments in the past have done quarterly reports within the department. Is that something that you can talk to as an organization so we could cross-departmentally report on a regular basis? Actually, that's a great idea. Um, I think that would be a very good thing. Um, and with with five areas, we could probably 
do a pretty good job of, of organizing a meeting where the groups are talking to each other about what they do. So that's um, – where's Ro – oh, Robin's out getting lunch. I'll write that down. <laughs> if I had a pen, I would write that down. How about other suggestions? Yes. In the past, you had the uh, info fair that showed you the community, diverse community, our services. I, I don't remember if asked somebody, but I don't think we had one last year. Uh, is that something that we should have? Because as you said, there were people out there who didn't know that we offered certain services. And I always felt that that was something that did show exactly what services we offer, at least a lot of the services that we offer. Yeah, that's, that is a very good question. I really don't know very much about the info fair because, of course, oh, I'm sorry. The question was, in the past, there was an info technology fair that used to take place at Princeton um, that I guess C, the CIT organization put on every year and that perhaps that would be a good way. Oops, I'm, they're pointing at John Edwards. So, and that that would be a good way for people to learn about the services we provide. And although I'm not very familiar with it because I, um, never attended one, um, if it is a fair that helps people learn about the services we provide and maybe does show and tell of some things, I think that would be a great idea. I think we should definitely do that. So watch out, John. <laughs> we'll be contacting you. How about other ideas? Now's your chance. Yes. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think it would be a good idea to have another meeting in six months to evaluate how the new structure is gone. Okay. I think that's a great idea. By then we should at least have it figured out, right? <laughs> Other suggestions? Suggestion on the uh, info fair part? Yep. So have it at break time. Have, not at break time. Oh, not at, oh, the break when they're gone, you mean. Okay. Have it not at break time. Do students come to this? Some. There was some, yes. That Can you summarize the question? Okay. <laughs> yes, the question was um, the, the, the quality assurance function is an extremely important one, and she did not see it on this uh, functional alignment chart and wondered if 
uh, and, and feels that it needs to take place at all different levels throughout the organization and wondered if that is a priority of mine and if I thought about it. And the answer is yes, I have. And at one point, we actually had it on the functional alignment chart. Um, it said project planning and quality assurance. And the reason that I removed that is really simply because I didn't want to confuse people to think that some of the people in administrative information services who do quality assurance would think that that function itself, those people have moved over. But quality assurance will be a part of the project planning effort, and we have not yet decided how, you know, how that will be staffed and, and exactly how it will be done. So it is very important. <laughs> You're right. Likewise, Fred. Uh, we have HR services, but I don't see anything about career development or possible career enhancement. I mean, many people are many people. Some people are working in areas where they may feel they're not really moving ahead, uh, specifically in technology areas, you know, programming, let's say, or networks. They want to look at something else. There's nothing here specifically for that. Is that part of HR services, or would that be some function for that effect? Yes, actually, that is part of HR services. And at one point, we actually had some parentheses following some of these titles saying, you know, career services, uh, uh, career planning, things like that. And um, I took them off just because it started making the chart look cluttered. But definitely one of the things we would like to do go going forward um, is work in the area of HR services to, well, first of all, we want to continue to work on the IT classification uh, program that we've started and really make sure that we're using it to its fullest effect and then really work on career planning. And I have talked about making... Um, some sort of education and training that leads to a career path move, a part of every person's performance plan. So that, because I think one of the things that happens is we all talk about the fact that we'd really like to move up, and we may need, know that we need new skills to do that, but then we never take the time to get those new skills. So I think by focusing on it and making it a part of the actual performance plan for individuals, hopefully we'll do a better job of that. Um, but we need to we need to think that through because we do want to have, we don't want people to have to leave the organization to move up. And so we need to think through how we can help them stay. Lee. Sort of a related question uh, focused more outside of OIT. Uh, one of the things which I think we found frustrating over the last few years is there are a number of folks who work for the university who have not taken advantage of the training to really get up to speed on the technology. And that has been sort of bounced back and forth between OIT and, H and HR. Do you see us taking the lead on that? Do you see a, the new HR taking the lead on that combination? Um, that's a very good question and something that I think every institution I've ever been at has struggled with. Part of the problem is I think typically senior administrators believe that the training function should be a part of HR, and that's great. The problem is that we're the ones who really care about IT training, so that ultimately I think what's going to happen is I, I believe that HR will be designated as the home for, you know, assessing university-wide 
what the training needs are of people in different positions. So administrative support staff need certain skills, and some of those are technology training skills, and so they would be responsible for all of that. But I have a feeling that we will be the ones driving it because we'll be the ones that really care about it. We'll also, in many cases, be the ones teaching some of the courses, as you know. And um, so I'm, I'm thinking that probably what will happen is we'll be working in partnership with HR. And, of course, right now there are a few unknowns because the new senior vice president, we're not sure how high a priority training will be for him. We don't have the new HR person yet. Um, and so, you know, it'll sort of be a wait and see. But my guess is it, it's going to be a partnership between the two. More questions? <laughs> Any more questions? <laughs> yes? You That's a good Betty. Yeah. Repeat the question. Yeah. yeah. People people over the web web can't hear questions. So okay. I will become more diligent again, but okay. could you repeat the question? That's a good point. Um, yes, the question was are are there any plans for hiring additional staff in OIT to provide some of the f new functions? or reallocating staff within OIT, and the comment was made that this person doesn't really know much about whether we have a budget to hire new people or not. So the answer to the last part of the question is we don't really have a new budget, a budget to hire new people. And in order to make a case for hiring new people, what we first have to do is show that we're using the resources that we currently have as efficiently as we possibly can. So the first thing that we're going to probably try to do is within, now that we're aligning ourselves according to these major functional areas, we're going to try to see what the needs are and, and determine whether or not we have the staff to accomplish those services by looking at who's, who's in these areas and whether they have the skills and the time to help provide some of these services. So we may be reallocating in some cases, but um, I also believe that we're going to be making a strong case for more technology support across campus because it's more efficient to add people to the central IT organization than it is to continue to add people to each department on campus. Um, so I think a central IT um, organization that reaches out to departments is probably a more effective use of resources. So hopefully we'll be able to make that case. As some of you know, in the area of the administrative information systems, we actually have additional staff for the implementation of the Partnership 2000 project, and we're still in a process of negotiating with the university as to what the steady state number of people will need to be in that area. So we really, overall as an organization, need to, need to build our case for the amount of resources we need that's one of the reasons that we've formed these committees, because, of course, it's always better to have the, the, the vice presidents of the functional areas saying, we need you to have more resources because we need these things done by you, or the faculty members saying, we need this support in research computing, therefore you need more people. So we're hoping that those people will become our advocates for more resources. So step one, look at what we can accomplish first, and then step two, go after additional resources.
Yes, Fred. Um, I'm going to say, sure. Uh, can talk? I mean, this is a big, expensive org- Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, anyway, uh, this is a fairly big and, I guess, expensive organization. Um, so with constant budgetary pressures, can you talk about how much uh, discussion there is about outsourcing some of these functions of ours? Because you just now talked about, of course, the need to increase our resources, and there is some movement towards centrality. But there's always pressure to get the money out of here. Actually, there's been no discussion at my level or higher about outsourcing. Um, and outsourcing has to be, of, of anything that you might do, has to be looked at very carefully. I, I don't happen to be a very strong advocate for outsourcing because I think in the end it probably costs you as much, if not more, than trying to provide the service internally. Um, but I have, in my past lives, had to justify um, a business case to show that. And, and I think if there, you know, if there were areas where it made sense to outsource something, it would probably be something that we're not doing right now, more likely first, that um, departments wanted, and we hired people from the outside to provide that, like web, web development if we couldn't staff it the way we wanted to or something. But I, but I don't, you know, we have not looked seriously at outsourcing in any particular area. Um, so there's no plans now. Yes. have to wait for the microphone so that the people online will hear the questions. Thanks. Um, just sort of along those same lines, when we're talking about uh, web development, um, application uh, support, um, making administrative apps web-enabled and all these kinds of things, a lot of those are sort of along the lines of, of programming and, and scripting and uh, writing code. Um, and I, I'm not... I'm not sure that I see a, an area on this map that that clearly falls under, and I wonder uh, if that would be something that would be considered to be outsourced or if there are groups within OIT that would be responsible for those kinds of developments uh, in the future. Yeah, I think it's probably hidden on these charts, not on purpose, though. I mean, if you look at administrative application services, certainly web development that we might want to do in those areas would fall under that category. Um, if, you, if you're thinking of, of academic um, web development, it could fall in, the, in, in several areas within academic services. We also have a web services group that provides services to some administrative departments. So again, um, I think web development, it's something that now has become pervasive across the organization, and, and it would have been impossible, for example, to say, we're going to put all the people that, that know how to write code and create applications on the web in one particular group. So instead, what we chose to do, again, we're kind of aligning along, you know, what is it our customers want from us? So we have an academic community and we have an administrative community, and then we have the infrastructure that's underneath it all. And I think we're going to have to, again, work out across the organization where the skills are for the particular application as it comes up. So I see each, you know, I see, I see academic services driving those needs in the academic area and administrative information services driving them in their area, um, and then all of us working together to figure out how to provide the support. Yes. Whoops, they want to bring you the microphone. We 
Is it on? <laughs> I don't know. We had gone through the process several years ago and put a lot of time and effort into creating service level agreements. I don't know how effective they were at the time, and I'm wondering if this, if your new process will be any different and who it will, what, who the audience is. Right. Well, um, I hope our new process will be different if those weren't very effective. Um, and actually, you know, I haven't looked at anything that was done in the past at all. Um, and I, and I think, you know, service level agreements, it's, let, let me talk for a minute about project planning, which I think um, will illustrate what, what I mean about service level agreements. But project planning can be very complex and very formal, or it can be pretty simple, depending on the kind of project that you're talking about. So in working with the directors this past year, we talked about using the project planning methodology that was developed for the Partnership 2000 effort across the organization. And, you know, eyes rolled back and people said, oh, my gosh, we can't do this. There's a manual this thick. How are we going to do this? And so we created what we called project management light, which was the easy form of project management for small projects. I think the same can be said for service level agreements. We need to have very structured service level agreements for complex interactions between groups that really are dependent on a number of different things happening and making sure they happen. And so we're going to have to learn how to do that um, and do it well and effectively. And then we'll probably have service level agreements light, so to speak, for smaller arrangements where we just want to make sure that these people know that they're a part of this service and that in order for it to succeed, we need their contribution. Um, so I think they will either be as specific as they need to be or as non-specific as they can be, so to speak. Um, since I don't really know why the other ones were not effective, I can't really comment on what will be different to make these work better, but I am committed to doing this and making it work, and I think that we can as long as we get, again, all of these things are tools, right, and, and it's like performance evaluations. Anything we do, we don't want it to get in the way of what we're really trying to do, which is provide service, right? So if a service level agreement is not effective, it could be because it's actually not helping because it's either too complex and we're spending too much time on the service level agreement or maybe it wasn't implemented properly and we never got commitment from the people who signed the service level agreements, which assuming they did sign them, I'm not sure. But, you know, so I think there are lots of reasons why things like that either work or don't work, and we're going to try to design these so they do work. <laughs> we'll see. We'll need your help. More questions? They're not here with the lunches yet? Oh. How do they expect you to eat at noon if they're not even here at 5 of noon? I think these lunches should be free, don't you all? <laughs> right. Yes, I should have signed a service level agreement for these lunches. We could take a break. Would you like to take a break? Okay.